Mr. Rockford, this is Betty Jo Withers. I got four shirts of yours from the Bo Peep Cleaners by mistake. I don't know why they gave me men's shirts, but they're going back. Welcome to 200 Today, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Rabishaw. And before we get into our episode today, we have a big, big, bright, blinking light on our answering machine. Um, oh, no. Yeah, we have one of these fancy ones where the light gets bigger, the more m- messages we have. Um, you know, that's a thing. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and see uh, see what's been accumulating in the last couple months since last time we uh, did some some listener feedback. First, we have an update from our Rockford Library correspondent, Jordan Not Richie Brockleman Bockleman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we uh, uh, gave him some homework in our episode 102, Beamer's Last Case, because there's a nice shot of Jim's bookshelves. Oh, yeah. So Jordan responds on Twitter. While it is a great wide shot of that end of the trailer, nothing is in focus for me to see. However, I have noticed that the books that I have already discovered seem to move around to different spots in the trailer from episode to episode, including the prop books that originally appeared in the Columbo episode, Murder by the Book. Ah. Because we have the shared detective prop book library from uh, the Universal Properties <laughs> yeah, making so- their appearance. I'm trying to remember if Murder by the Book, that's the one where there's a detective author who is involved in the murder, I think. Yes. Murder by the Book is the is the first episode, the first non-pilot Columbo. Right. Where it's the mystery writing team and one's a, one, one author murders the other one. The implication here is that that mystery writing team exists in the Rockford world. Yes. All right. Good. I like that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think I think Jordan might have mentioned this before that at some point there is a book that's one of the I forget her name, but like that team writes the something something mm-hmm. mysteries and it's a woman, a woman's name. And so like one of those books appears on Jim's shelves <laughs> at some point. That's great. I think as we've discussed way long ago on a listener question episode, the dream team of a Jim Rockford Lieutenant Columbo mm-hmm. crossover is implied by the existence of the uh, <laughs> of these books. Ah, oh, it would have been so great. <laughs> Next, we have some feedback on lions, tigers, monkeys, and dogs. Our episode one hundred three oh, yeah. from listener Eli. Um, and Eli has sent a, a, a couple thoughts on various episodes um, via email. Uh, I th- thought this was. The one that, that gives us the most to talk about. But thank you for all your uh, thoughts, Eli. We appreciate getting them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we just had a, probably I uh, had a toss offline about Lauren Bacall, stayed star of screen and probably stage. Um, he mm-hmm. reminds reminds us that she was absolutely a stage star and that she, uh, in fact, won some Tonys. So I looked into it. She won two Tony Awards, Best Actress in a Musical for Applause in 1970, which I've never heard of, uh, which doesn't mean anything. I just, yeah, I don't know tons <laughs> about musicals. And Woman of the Year in 1981, uh, which I have heard of. So at the time that this episode was was made, she was a Tony Award winning um, ah, there we go. actress. Yeah. And then I was just looking at her awards page on, on Wikipedia, and 
So she has uh, Tonys. She has various awards for various other things, but uh, she never won an Oscar for something she was nominated for. She's nominated for a supporting actress um, role, but she did get a Lifetime Achievement Award Oscar. So, oh uh, yeah, we we think you're great, but you've just been outbid every time you've been up award. Awards are weird. They're just weird. Mm-hmm. Is the position of 200 a day the same as the position of dig a thousand holes on awards? I mean, it could be. How do you, how do you phrase it? We we neither pursue pursue nor accept awards. Hmm. I say that as somebody who won an award and built a career on it, <laughs> and then had the privilege to say, "No, I'm done with those." Mm-hmm. Um, I don't actually have a a problem with other people pursuing or receiving awards. Uh, it's just that I, for my mental health, cannot, <laughs> and so I will not. All right. In addition, uh, getting to some of the plot stuff. Why did Manette, a high quality mob guy, hire a bartender to kill someone? Didn't he have much better people for that job? I guess we're supposed to believe it was a favor for Gus. Was that ever explained? And who killed him? It couldn't be Gus. He's not competent for that. That's totally unclear to me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, boy, we're we're definitely in the range of I don't really remember all the details. Yeah, yeah. Right. So this is the one where Princess Irene wants to kill Kendall. That's like the big reveal, mm-hmm. Lauren Bacall. And the method through which this happens is she puts pressure on Gus, right? Because Gu- So Gus is the fashion right. magazine guy. Mm-hmm. He slandered Irene. Irene is suing him, but says he'll she'll drop the suit if he kills Kendall. He chooses to do so by calling in a mob contact from the garment union or whatever, because fashion magazine, yeah. garment union, right? That's Manette. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any mention of why the, the the bartender, as we learn, is the one who actually gets the job to do the hit, right? Because he's mm-hmm. the one wearing the robe who goes on the boat with the knife. Yeah. My read of that was just that the bartender thing was kind of his day job, but he was a mob guy. Like, he was just an operator. Sure. Uh, okay, I think we might be able to answer that question in today's episode. <laughs> uh, because, uh, like, there's certainly a chance that um, uh, by the time it gets to Manette, it's a... There, there's already a game of telephone going on. And it's not a mob affair. Yeah, it's not... A, so he's might he might be like, I don't know, somebody looking to make their their... Uh, whatever the good mob term is for like Mm. make their wings or you know whatever like right right yeah that was that was kind of my read was that it was a this guy got the job not necessarily because of a particular Mm skill set or whatever just like he's 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 connected and he is probably disposable so yeah willing and may not be connected to anyone right yeah and i think we have evidence of that it's not like he's a it's not that he's like a stone cold killer like all the nervousness with the cigarettes and all that stuff right right yeah yeah so that's not explained in terms of giving us like minette gives him a call and says hey can you kill this woman right (laughs) Mm -hmm. but i guess that was my read and then as for who killed minette i don't remember exactly but the deal with that was that he drank some wine that was poisoned right and it was the wine that irene likes it's like that one Mm -hmm. that one vineyard that she drinks we got the line from chapman that there was a component in it that you could get from any i guess that doesn't matter too much but it was from like any Mm -hmm. silver like or any jewelry thing or any silversmith or something like that silver polish something. yeah yeah so what we were given there was evidence that irene gave Manette, you know, poisoned wine Mm -hmm. to cover her own tracks once things started 
Breaking Bad. Right. Yeah. Again, it's been a little while. <laughs> so I, I don't remember what my specifically what my impressions were at the time, but I that rings familiar to me. And then with a, I think a, a cogent critique uh, here at the end of this uh, email, uh, I know Irene is nuts, but wouldn't she have had a lot of opportunities to bump off Kendall and make it look like an accident? No one investigates accidents in Europe. <laughs> That's a new tourist <laughs> tagline. <laughs> um, and I think the answer there is just because that's the premise of the episode. <laughs> like, I mean, Poirot used to investigate accidents. Mm, that's no. true. <laughs> uh, th- yeah, get the real crossover. The Poirot cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, no, that's good. But yeah, I don't, you know, I don't think there's any like screen time given to like why it has to be here now. Um, mm-hmm. Except for, and this is just getting into the total, how it turns into a total vibes. Yeah. I, psychology study. There's a psychological thing. Right. Yeah. That it's like when they get back to California, where they both came from. Yeah. That's what brings this crisis to Irene of, yeah, I can never be free as long as Kendall is, knows my secret or there's, whatever. Yeah. There's two possibilities there. One is just being home breaks her psychologically and causes this to, to, to result or uh, being home, there are more opportunities now for for Kendall to be someone to recognize Ken, them, or you know, like mm-hmm. there's she's actually in more danger in a way. Yeah, exactly. So uh, either one of those, I think. But yeah, I she's she should have done it in Europe. <laughs> and one more comment uh, regarding lions, tigers, monkeys, and dogs. Um, at Carter Hall underscore on Twitter tweets at us. Um, about Leo Gordon in the episode, Leo Gordon played the like the heavy that Jim brought with him to the mm. meeting with Manette, who yes. got immediately <laughs> cold cocked and went to the hospital. And we hadn't seen him before, but he had been in an earlier episode, right? So there was yeah. like a callback to how he got totally messed up in that one too. He was in two previous episodes, one as this same character. The tweet here: Leo Gordon is excellent on both Maverick and Rockford Files. IMO, his best Maverick is Shady Deal at Sunny Acres, which is a great episode <laughs> and a con worthy of some of Rockford's best. Garner spends nearly the whole episode whittling on a porch, saying he's working on it. <laughs> oh, I love Maverick. I want to see that episode now. I don't think I've, I've ever seen it. I think it's it's referred to multiple times as like a Roy Huggins like plot that he re- not recycled, but like he did it in Maverick and then he pulls elements from mm-hmm. it for Rockford. Like it's like a Roy Huggins, yeah. like favorite con kind of thing. Um, I have not seen it cause I still have not seen Maverick cause I'm kind of, I don't know. I have this sense that I want to kind of keep myself. I want to, I want to keep myself innocent of Maverick until I'm done with Rockford files. I don't know why that probably doesn't make any sense, <laughs> okay. but yeah. Or maybe for a special episode, uh, we could do shady deal at sunny acres sometime. Oh, that might be fun. Yeah. That'd be fun. So we're going roughly in an order of our episodes here. Uh, we have a follow-up from listener Jim in Maine about our episode 104, Return to the 38th Parallel, which, if you'll remember, mm. was his uh, proposal to us to to do. It's the one with uh, Ned, Ned Beatty and the um, yeah the $3 million vase. We, we spent some time talking about his state of mind at the end there on the train. Oh, yes. I'm sorry, the train ending just came back. Yeah. <laughs> his follow-up says... I was unclear about why Ned Beatty threw a $3 million vase off a moving train onto a stone embankment. Yeah, he wants the money, (laughs) but it's a vase. Being thrown off a train onto rocks, I don't see a wooden box with straw working. 
I guess it's basically mm-hmm. because the Beatty character is under stress, very greedy, and not too smart. That was and remains my take. Regards, and thanks for the great podcast series. Well, <laughs> thanks again, Jim. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty much where we landed, right? Like, he mm-hmm. didn't have a plan. It was more a reflex than... Yeah, I think he spent that entire episode just keeping inches ahead of of his fate. Mm. He wasn't doing 4D chess. He was doing 1D chess. <laughs> he, was, he was playing checkers. He was playing sorry. I, I think, I think Jim, I think you got it. I think you've encapsulated our entire hour and a half episode with that. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> He's under stress, very greedy, and not too smart. Yeah. All right. We have a couple comments uh, taking us way back. Oh. We're going back to the mayor's committee from Deerlick Falls, our episode 36, oh, yeah. which we uh, released in June of 2018. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So we have a correction uh, on Twitter from at Torchy Blaine, who says, I'm the last Rockford fan in the USA to discover your pod. And I love it. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm sure there's someone else out there that will find it after you. But mm-hmm. there's always new Rockford fans born every minute. So mm-hmm. that's why this is such a lucrative business. <laughs> <laughs> Growth industry. Um, catching up on back episodes and came across a mistake that I have to correct. Oh, good. In the mayor's committee from Deerlick Falls, the happy tourist guy. Uh, Newt, I think that's probably right. Um, he got real excited about seeing someone get into a limo. And in our episode, neither of us really remembered. Yeah. We called exactly the scene and one of us said, like, someone famous, like Jane Fonda or someone. So you said Jane Fonda, but he actually said Ginger Rogers. In the 1970s, oh. Jane Fonda was very much persona non grata because of her Vietnam War protests. Right. No way a middle-aged Midwestern white guy would be happy to see her. Yeah, thank you very much for uh, listening and for letting us know yeah. about these uh, ancient things that we have already forgotten that we <laughs> said. But I, I thought this was um, interesting to bring up because of the, I think that's a, a very cogent, specific point. Yeah. Yeah, about the you know, the politics of the 70s um, and mm-hmm. that this show does care about that kind of stuff. So Yeah, the characters, I mean, we, we often go into how real the characters feel, and that's not by accident i think when they write a character even a i mean this isn't even an incidental character he's he's one of the four or five mm-hmm. villains of yeah, the piece. i think there's four of them i'm sure they sit there and think who who, who would he see that that you, you know what i mean i'm sure mm-hmm. they think about that um and of course like if you're in it in that time you you have a better instinct than you and i do as we do right, podcasts. Right. Uh, five decades later <laughs> four four and a half decades later yeah that's somewhere in there yeah yeah definitely so i think both a apt correction and also a something that reflects the the kind of the the the, the texture of the show yeah and then we're going to go even more way back for our next one we have a <laughs> we a recent website comment on gear jammers part one which was our episode mm. eight fondly remembered <laughs> Uh, from listener Glenn. I mean, that episode looms very large in my mm-hmm. consciousness. It is one of the reference episodes that sticks with me um, over the years. So, yeah, it's a formative, a formative one for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, specifically, um, if anyone remembers, uh, there's a lifeguard who's like super ripped, like in really good shape, oh, yeah. running around. Fun fact: the ripped lifeguard is played by Reb Brown. He would go on to play Captain America and do television movies from oh, 1979. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Both are camp classics. So A, good shout. B, I specifically mm-hmm. wanted to bring this one up because as someone who did not really know 
too much media of this era. I know Red Brown as a reference from my friend and uh, editor for Worldwide Wrestling, uh, Ian Williams. He designed and wrote a game called Action Movie World, where you play action movie mm-hmm. stars in action movies. It's great. And one of the playbooks that you have as your template for your star, like if you want to play Schwarzenegger or you want to play Tom Cruise or something like that, one of them is called The Yeller, and that is to play Red <laughs> Brown because he was yes. also classically known for yelling all the time in all the like bad action <laughs> movies that he was in. So this is primarily a platform to shout out Action Movie World. It's a great game. Yeah. Well, I will say also that Red Brown, Red Brown is my Captain America. I know that everyone <laughs> likes Chris Evans, but like I grew up on the Red Brown Captain America um, with that see-through shield mm-hmm. and the motorcycle with the stealth mode. Yes, that's what Captain America should be about. <laughs> um, and I will also use this as an opportunity to remind you that uh, our episodes on our website, 200 fireside.fm have comments and you can leave comments on them there if you would prefer now we're going back to not richie brockelman jordan bockelman who has Mm -hmm. uh, some clarification for us on a confusing sequence in the deuce Mm. in the scene um kind of towards the climax where bonnie is in the bar uh, with uh, uh with mills watson's character um george Mm-hmm. And they have the whole thing where he's, you know, not going to drink. And he has this kind of moment of, of right. realization that he has a real problem and everything. Um, and I think we were both, uh, or at least I, was confused about her ordering a drink for him, even though he wasn't drinking and being on the phone and complaining about it. And then also, as you clarified for me, I just totally missed kind of the thing with pouring the booze on him Right. After he's in the accident and everything. So clearly I was not paying 100% attention. Um, mm-hmm. So Jordan helps us, helps us out here. In the scene where Bonnie is in the bar with George, she speaks on the phone with her fellow goons about George not wanting the coffee but wanting more bourbon. I believe she's speaking more directly to the bartender and the other patrons attempting to convince them that George is drunk when he leaves later mm-hmm. to go uh, meet with Jim at Deckard's point. Setting up the frame. That makes sense, yeah. There's another line later when she leaves the bar and we can all see the bartender visibly noticing her stating that he's had too much to drink, uh, even though we know mm-hmm. different. This is all somewhat confusing for the viewer and I would guess maybe some scenes or lines were cut from the episode. Yeah, I think that tracks, but I think that's a good point where maybe the focus, like literally like, you know, maybe the the, the camera focus of the scene where she's on the phone saying he doesn't want more coffee. Right. If that showed us the bartender intent in, or the crowd like yeah. listening or something, uh, maybe it did. I just don't remember. But yeah, um, sometimes that's because I'm not paying enough attention. And sometimes it's because the the craft of the scene isn't giving us all the mm-hmm. all the information to put that together for ourselves. Uh, it can certainly go either way. But yeah, that does make that whole scene make a little more sense. <laughs> Jordan continues. As I dance back and forth between watching episodes of Rockford and episodes of Columbo, as one does, I'm sometimes finding myself enjoying Columbo more due to the amount of screen time he gets per episode compared to Jim. I think this particular Uh story could have done with five to ten more minutes of breathing room just to fill in some of the blanks for the viewer. Particularly apt for our future conversation. Yeah, yeah. For this particular episode we're going to do today. Um, Yeah, what do you think about that? About just generally the idea that Jim sometimes just isn't in his own episodes enough. <laughs> so there's a thing where um, we're always experimenting within the formula that we have. And Columbo has a really solid formula, right? Like we witness uh, 
the person who's setting up the murder, set up the murder, and then commit the murder, all but commit the murder. I think often the murder is just off screen or something like that, but we know who's guilty. And then the rest of it is Columbo up against this this person. Columbo is front-loaded, or back-loaded, rather. The first section of a Columbo episode doesn't have Columbo, right? Yeah. And that's the formula. And then the rest does, for the most part. Yeah, and the rest is this battle with Columbo. So mm-hmm. he's front and center with it, right? Like, it's this uh, game of wits with Columbo. And you, you, if he's not in every scene, he's in every other scene, mm-hmm. you know, like, because that's what you're doing. Whereas, like, with Rockford, there's less of a formula. And to that extent, like, I think there's a lot of experimentation going on in Rockford. I'm not saying like a lot more compared to Columbo because I think Columbo does some really clever experimenting with, um, and when I say Columbo, I mean the people who are making Columbo, <laughs> uh, with the format that they established, right? Uh, but Rockford file, uh, Files, and we talk about there's like, there's beats that we're always looking for where like he tries to reject the, the job or we know that the job, it's a friend of his that he just has to help out or, you know, but there's not as much of a very solid formula for a Rockford Files episode. And, and uh, in particular, we get these ones like the one we're going to do today, which just feel a little bit like somebody is using the Rockford Files to do something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm always all for more James Garner. Right, like right. The, I, can't, yeah. I can't imagine things wouldn't be uh, improved. But I'm honestly trying to think of ones where, okay, I will say this, right? I, all of that, but just another Polish wedding might be perfect. Mm-hmm. And it has, uh, until I saw this one, it had the least amount of Rockford in mm-hmm. any Rockford Files episode. And I'm not saying that that's why it's almost perfect. It's clear that um, there's something else going on there. But yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree in like, life is always more pleasant <laughs> when you have more James Garner. Mm-hmm. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think maybe if you looked at it on a minute per minute basis, it's not necessarily that there's more Columbo. Mm-hmm. You'll watch an episode and it'll be 20 minutes of the murderer stuff before right. the, the Columbo shows up. And that's, you know, almost a third of the episode. But there is a sense that it, the show doesn't begin until you see Peter Falk, right? Like there is that right. feeling of like, that's the real episode and the rest is kind of preamble. Well, with Rockford Files, the, obviously, depending on the episode, we're with Jim the entire time or we're cutting back and forth or whatever. The beauty of the formula that they have for Columbo, I mean, there's many beauties to it, but like one of the things, I mean, it's exactly that you, you get the non-Columbo stuff in the beginning and then you get like solid Columbo and then... I mean, we were talking about this earlier. You cut, like, you you end a Columbo episode like a beat before the audience wants it to end Mm -hmm. every time. Like, every time the credits roll, you're like, oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. Lately, Em and I have been watching a lot of the David Suchet Poirot, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of fun. But um, that's an inverted Columbo. Mm -hmm. You're kind of going along, and then you hit this point about either 15 or 30 minutes before the end of the episode, depending on if it's a short episode or a long episode where he gets everyone in a drawing room and Mm -hmm. just starts accusing everyone. Mm -hmm. There's just the thing about like, when you get to that part, I'm like, can we just say who the murderer is? (laughs) I'm done now. Like you've kind of seen the fun part and then you just want the the resolution. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I understand that like for a lot of people, that drawing room scene is, I mean, like it's classically the Poirot 
Agatha Christie thing. Like that's yeah, it is the classic British murder mystery style. Yeah, like when when people do uh, parodies of murder mysteries, that's the scene that they're parodying mm-hmm. most of the time. Is the person going around accusing innocent people in turn until they get to the guilty person? I guess my last thought here is just that the 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 potential issue of there not being enough gem versus there needing to be a little more breathing room in an episode. I think those two things are independent. Like they can both be true or only Mm -hmm. one of them can be true. Like in just another Polish wedding, like that could have more breathing room without Jim just to show us more Gabby and Gandy. That would be okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And in this episode in particular, in the deuce, it is a bit weird because we do have so much just Jim living his life. Mm -hmm. And yet there are these rough patches where we don't really understand what's going on with the fairly minimal plot. So yeah, there Mm -hmm. is a mismatch there of like what we're seeing versus what we're getting. Um, that I think is, is, is true. A couple more quick ones, um, to round out our answering machine here. First patron, Robert Lindsay has some thoughts for us on various episodes. A general appreciation for Irving the Explainer, episode 93, where, mm-hmm. as he agrees, the, the joy is seeing Jim be exactly wrong about what's going on. <laughs> um, and he has a comment on our episode 86, The Real Easy Red Dog. That's one where the reveal is that there was a, a baby um, smuggling ring Right. That this woman, her bait, like she sold her baby to this, you know, to these unsavory characters. And now she wants, but I don't remember. I'm trying to remember. I don't exactly remember the plot of real easy red dog, but the the reveal of at least the motivation is that this woman wants her baby back. Something like that. This is the one with the, the woman that's the private eye. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That keeps like playing Rockford. The one with the really good color palette. Yes. Yes. See, that was exactly what I was thinking. Um, But Robert uh, says, uh, you talk about the baby adoption scandal and don't mention raising Arizona with a quote. I myself brought $10,000 as a pup and that was $1954. So here's where I get to admit publicly and with some amount of shame that I've never seen raising Arizona. And thus I would not have thought to make a connection. (laughs) Epi's eyes just bugged out of his head. No, no, I'm trying to think if I actually have to make that same admission. I don't know if I've seen it in totality. Uh, I, this might be homework for me because mm. it, it's Coen Brothers. And I know, it's, I know it's Nick Cage. Is it Coen Brothers? I can see our audience go down as we speak. Mm. I mean, to be uh, clear, a couple of Nick Cage fans on this side. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the Coen Brothers. Okay. So here's the thing. The movie came out in 87. A lot, not to not to like make excuses for myself, but there are a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff came out around that time that my friends just quoted mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. and then eventually you just forget that you weren't part of that group and didn't actually see the thing. You, you know, it, it, it becomes a, a a false memory kind mm-hmm. of thing. There are a lot of movies around that, roughly around that time, that I, I have these sort of false memories of, or. As I've mentioned many times before, I have a really bad memory, <laughs> and uh, I did watch it and just have forgotten the majority of it. It's on us, though. Oh, yeah, that's on us. That's on us. And finally, also from Robert, in regards to where to watch The Rockford Files, he uh, wants to make sure that we are aware, and thus we will make sure that our listeners are aware, of JustWatch.com, which is a service where uh-huh. you can put in a title of a TV or movie and find out where it is available for streaming or for purchase 
Uh, he says, it's not perfect, especially at the first of a month when channels drop a show, but I found it very helpful in finding stuff I'm looking for. That's great. If you didn't know, now you know. Uh, and the Rockford Files is currently streaming free on Freevee, which was formerly known as IMDb TV. Uh, mm-hmm. It has been rebranded as Freevee, but uh, Rockford Files is still streaming there. It's apparently also on the Roku channel and on Tubi. Yeah. I assume with ads on, on all of those, but, uh, and I know it's on like yeah. the MeTV channel and there's a couple like linear channels that stream that like show all the, you know, 70s shows and stuff. So it's fun. I'm, I'm looking at the list uh, of the, best price the free on on justwatch.com mm. it's a great interface actually i uh just went to it and um i was expecting a lot worse because uh, <laughs> you know web pages these days but uh the, i look at it they got the roku channel and the tv and freebie all of which you mentioned both roku and freebie uh have a little note on it that it's in hd mm. you know for your high definition rockford files which <laughs> i'm sure mm. Well, I don't know. You've, you've got the Blu-ray. You can tell me. Is it is it better in high definition? Is... As far as I can tell, the, the main difference between the Blu-rays and the DVDs is that the Blu-rays are louder. Oh, okay. Like the audio is just louder, maybe a little crisper. The mm-hmm. image quality on anything that I, I mean, I don't have a particularly nice TV. Um, so like it looks the same on my TV. Maybe if you had a fancier TV, the upscaling would look nice or something. But these, like most Columbos, I think are just transfers of TV tapes from the 70s. So yeah, they're like... They're going to be the same no matter what. Which I consider part of the charm. Yeah, I agree. I, I, and also the the format, the square format. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but it makes my job of taking notes while I'm watching it much easier. <laughs> I do that now on my laptop and uh, because it's the square TV format. If it were the wider format that things tend to come into these days, it would take up too much of, of the screen for my notes <laughs> to also fit on the screen. Or it would have to be like such a small mm-hmm. thing that I miss important details like the color palette. That said, thank you so much for Just Watch. I'm bookmarking this now. This is going to save so many hours of just digging through all the different apps on my phone to find (laughs) anything. All right. Well, that's everything on our answering machine. Thanks again for all of the comments. Uh, And if you sent us something and we didn't mention it here, uh, thank you for your comment. Mm -hmm. This was long enough as it is, so we (laughs) did have to make a... (laughs) A couple choices, and we'll do it again once we have uh, some more thoughts that come in from listeners. And you can submit those comments or let us know what you think via Twitter at 200pod, comments on episodes at our website, 200aday.fireside.fm, email 200adaypodcast at gmail.com, um, all, all spelled out, or becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash 200aday, and we will see and respond to your comments over there as well. Thanks again. All right. Now with that half of our show out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) Get to the other half. Uh, Time for our our main main show here. The main event. The main event. What episode are we talking about this time? We are talking about just a couple of guys. Uh, That's the couple of is all one word. Just a couple of guys. Just a couple of guys. You got to do the fingers. Uh, We are on. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was doing that off screen. (laughs) Season six. This is the penultimate episode of season six, which I did not know when I chose it. Well, okay, so the the decision process here, such as it is, that we our previous episode uh, was 
um, I think episode four of season one. And mm-hmm. we had talked a little bit during that episode about it was still kind of finding its Rockfordishness. Uh, and I thought, oh, what a wonderful contrast would be to go uh, to the final season where they've refined their Rockfordishness mm-hmm. and take a look. At, and so I just kind of glanced at what the different episodes were that we hadn't done in the season. And I saw one where he comes out to the East Coast. And I was like, yeah, let's see Rockford on the East Coast. Um, as you'll soon discover, we barely see Rockford on the East Coast. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. All right. We'll get into that in a few minutes. Yeah. Yes, this is indeed the second to last episode of The Rockford Files, um, season six, episode 10. This one is directed by Ivan Dixon, who we've seen uh, four times before, uh, most recently, The Real Easy Red Dog, our episode 86. We uh, have a couple more of his to do before we would do the full full Dixon, Um, but we've talked about Mm -hmm. him a couple times. He... Uh, he was an actor as well as a director. He was on Hogan's Heroes. He did Broadway. And he was a very important figure in uh, Black representation in Hollywood and performing arts stuff. At some point, probably deserving of a more deep dive. But uh, mm-hmm. that is who's behind the camera here. And then the writer, and I think this is key to this episode, is David Chase. <laughs> yes. More about that uh, later. So this episode... Hmm, so. Our preamble here is that this is a weird episode <laughs> with very little Jim in it. So yeah. we will uh, take a slightly different approach to talking about the episode. I think it's a more interesting meta discussion than going through kind of the beat by beat. Yeah, I agree. I want to start off by saying, because we just talked about Ivan Dixon and David Chase, both of which have, have been involved in some of my favorite episodes mm-hmm. of the Rockford Files. I'm just going to put that out there up front before we go into this. Yes. So I think we will we'll get to that discussion uh, as is tradition um, after we talk about the preview montage, which is a bit misleading. Yeah. All right. So I am full of vim and vigor. I come out of the opening montage completely charged. Right. We've got some good stuff, good jokes in the cut. Mm-hmm. The, you know, Jerseyites are the friendliest people. In the, some of the friendliest people in the world. And you cut to Jim like they stole my car, you know, that kind of thing. Lots of gunshots. Mm-hmm. There's a whole thing with a coffin being... I, I didn't realize it until we started watching the episode, but the coffin is being carried into a kitchen. Mm-hmm. There's, like, a good gym threat in there, too. Like, keep that up, and I'm going to find your off switch. So I'm like, yeah, this is this is this episode's going to have it all. We know there's organized crime going in. Yeah, organized crime. Very clearly organized crime. And ending with the great joke of diving out of the way of machine gun fire and then a welcome <laughs> to New Jersey. Hey, Epi, did you know that we are a 100% listener-supported show? I did not know that. Wait, I I did. I did. (laughs) And it is because of our patrons over at patreon.com slash 200 today. In addition to our gratitude, patrons also receive exclusive episode previews and plus expenses. That is the podcast before the podcast and that's where we talk about other stuff going on in our lives Mm -hmm. and games and movies and all kinds of things yeah we extend special thanks to our gumshoe patrons supporting this episode of 200 a day join mitch hampton to examine all matters aesthetic and what it means to be human at the journey of an aesthete podcast wherever you get your podcasts dale norwood wrote a book find trading freedom how trade with china defined early america wherever good books are sold. 
is about fast ships, cheap drugs, and American political economy. Chuck from whatyoureading.com, Paul Townend, who also recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color, at fruitloopspod.com, Shane Liebling, his site rollforyear.party, has all of your online dice rolling needs, Jay Adon, check out his amazing miniature painting skills over at jayadon.com, Pumpkin Jabba Peach Pug, Dave P., Dave Otterson, Kip Hawley, and Dale Church. And finally, we can't thank our detective patrons enough for their generous support of the show. Joe Greathead, Michael Zalisco, Eric Antenor, at Antenor on Twitter, Brian Pereira, at Thermoware, Jordan Bockelman, not Brockelman, at Jordan Bockelman, Bill Anderson, at BillAnd88, and of course, Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200pod. If you're interested in helping keeping us going, you can do so for as little as a dollar an episode at patreon.com slash 200 today. Thank you. Thanks so much. So, yeah, I, I, I was ready for, and I, I, I don't use this term lightly, a romp. All right. So starting this episode, I had skimmed through some of the IMDb reviews because uh, they are extremely mixed. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, that makes sense. So I was primed for what we get, which is an episode that doesn't really have much Jim in it and is Mm -hmm. more about the titular couple of guys who are kind of Mm -hmm. a couple of wannabe mobsters from Newark. So I already had that expectation of like, oh, I'm not going to see a lot of Jim. We're going to watch these two guys. And this is a generative palette for stuff that would later turn into the sopranos similar to the anthony boy episodes the uh, the the man who saw the alligator and Mm -hmm. um, the other one there's like some formative tissue of david chase writing characterization and content that is clearly what he's interested in with this like east coast jersey mob stuff um but kind of with a twist right and that stuff all turns into the sopranos and et cetera, et cetera. So I guess I had my expectations set more correctly, mm-hmm. I suppose, because if I had gone into it, like you said, ready for a romp, uh, full of Rockfordishness, <laughs> I, yeah. I too would have been disappointed. I don't want to be too mean on this episode. Uh, like this is the thing we, I said, uh, before we started the podcast, but is you know, there has to be your least favorite Rockford episode, right? Like, they, <laughs> like, and, one of the episodes that might still be better than any other show or whatever, but there has to be like a least favorite rock for And currently this might sit in that position for me. Mm. I'm, I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to try my best not to be like, and this is what they did wrong. This is what they did. I just look at what, what they did. Right. Because I think you're right. I went in with certain expectations and that's why it happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I had known the expectations, I probably uh, would have, not spent most of my notes going, where's Rockford? <laughs> like, what's happening? <laughs> and to be clear and fair, you had the expectations that I think any viewer turning on their TV right. to watch the Rockford Files would have had. They are what the opening montage was promising, right? right. Like, I feel that I'm not wrong there. Yeah. So how do we do this? Yeah. So I think we'll, we'll kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll go through, we'll hit, we'll hit some high points and see if there's any, mm-hmm. uh, uh, opportunity for discussion. Um, we do get actually kind of reminiscent of lions, tigers, monkeys, and dogs, a kind of fun opening scene 
that gives us some title cards and like you know some good placement so we get these establishing shots of this very east coasty like alley we see we're in an italian restaurant then we get a title that comes up that says somewhere in newark yes we know we are not in la um and we have the 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 kind of delightful juxtaposition of our suit wearing guys bringing a coffin in (laughs) through this kitchen where nobody seems surprised doesn't phase anyone yeah and they uh haul it into you know essentially a freezer i guess it's a classic restaurant kitchen where everyone's still busy doing whatever their job is and they can't it doesn't matter what's going on around them it's just general chaos we cut to two guys perhaps a couple of guys uh in a convertible with one of one of the nice little i don't know just one of the fun little things that i like in this kind of show where uh we have our sax playing in the score and then it turns into a diegetic music that's playing on their radio and they're adjusting the antenna and they can't quite get it to sound right or whatever we establish that um this this pair is trying to get into a a gated compound to see a mr lombard but he doesn't want to see them Mm -hmm. with the line it's a couple of guys who are ready to help him with his problem and we get the title (laughs) just a couple of guys over them yeah the just a couple of guys gag (laughs) is leaned on heavily it is uh they do have a dynamic, which is nice. Uh, yeah, so I guess let's talk about them because we're going to be spending most yeah. of our episode with this pair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Eugene and Mickey. Eugene is the one, kind of the more f- fast-talking, slick one. Yeah, it's got a little more a little more angel vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, and Mickey has more of a Rockford vibe. Um, he's yeah. a little more <laughs> pessimistic, but he also is quick on his feet and mm-hmm. responds well to challenges <laughs> taking <laughs> opportunities. And yeah, and they're, you know, they're two guys from Newark, a couple of guys who want to get in with the mob. That is their deal. They're small time operators. That's even giving them a little extra consideration. Like they're <laughs> yeah. want to be operators. Like they're not even operating yet. One of the good early, uh, Rockfordish gags with these guys is that they have a a load of presumably stolen hair dryers mm-hmm. that they are trying to talk about how they're going to be able to because this Gore Vidal guy or no no sorry not Vidal Sassoon guy they just say Gore Vidal oh they do the joke is that we in the seventies would know they mean Vidal Sassoon right yes yeah yeah I hear I made the same mistake but anyways yeah the, the like y- you have uh, Mickey who is Kind of like, I don't know, like, maybe we should think this through. And Eugene is like, I need to make sure there's positive energy mm-hmm, at all mm-hmm. times. Like, And so he's constantly, like, reframing reality in a way that makes it sound like they're they're smart and doing the right thing, no matter what it is. And, uh, and it's clear that they aren't. Uh, or it's not that they aren't smart. They're just not, they're not set up right. They're not mm-hmm. knowledgeable. They don't have the experience yet. They're, they're still. They're, they're wannabes. Yeah, wannabes. Couple of guys. Couple of guys. Um, yeah, I think not only does Eugene always re- reframe, like, reframe reality, he also readjusts expectations constantly. Yeah. Maybe yeah. we can make this much <laughs> money. You know what? Let's make this much money. That's a lower amount or whatever. Like there's, you know, let's set our sights lower so that we can 
get a win. There's definitely a part where he's like, oh, yeah, no, he really appreciated. Well, how much did we get? Well, it's not that. It's not how much money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Eugene and Mickey are who we're going to be spending most of this episode with. Mm-hmm. But before we get back to them, we do cut to seeing Jim landing in landing in New Jersey. Yeah. Newark International Airport. An, an airport I, I know, know well. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's fine. Yeah, fine. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been through worse airports. I've uh, been through better airports. And uh, there's a fun, I don't know, gag, I guess. Uh, where we start off with him walking with and talking to a guy in a big leather trench coat who's talking about how great New Jersey is and he's lived there his whole life and he had to go to California to get mugged by a guy wearing rubber sandals. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's good. And I'm I'm seeing him being like, oh, okay, Jim is talking to like his contact or whoever brought him out here mm-hmm. or whatever. And they pass the car rental counter and he's just like, nice <laughs> flying with you. <laughs> the guy just leaves. <laughs> I again like to, to highlight some of the best part of this episode. I think every moment that Jim is on screen is just pure gold. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that like we just get mm, such good Rockford comedy and and you know the other Rockford bits. You feel each beat coming and you know what's coming and it's still a delight to see it. <laughs> so he's renting a car, he's leaving the lot, his turn signal <laughs> doesn't work. So being a considerate driver, he rolls down his window and and puts his arm out to point to indicate Signals, that he's turning. Yeah. yeah, to do his signal. And that is when a, a, a youthful goon just grabs his watch off of his extended arm and takes off. Uh, Jim jumps out of the car to chase him. Uh, he can't quite mm-hmm. get to him and he gets away over a fence. And then as he's going back to his rental car, someone jumps in it. And as Jim goes, hey, wait, that's my car, just takes off in the <laughs> rental and so now Jim has lost. And we had a very specific shot of him putting his luggage in the back of the car, right? So now yeah. Jim yeah. has lost his watch, his rental car, and his luggage within minutes of arriving <laughs> in New Jersey. <laughs> it's amazing. Just as amazing as him giving, you know, g- giving a statement or whatever to the the cops at the rental counter with the lady there <laughs> who was so nice to him earlier. Just being like, I don't mm-hmm. know. It's a little suspicious. You mean this guy rents a car and then five minutes later it's stolen? <laughs> Just being like, uh, what kind of con is this guy running? Mm-hmm. And uh, he's going to have to go down to the precinct to fill out a report. All right. Back to our couple of guys where they go into mm-hmm. their base of operations, which is a sub shop run by <laughs> Eugene's Uncle Bep, who is a special guest appearance by Simon Oakland. Oh, yes. Oh, he's been in a lot of episodes. He's Vern St. Cloud. Yes. Yes. He's Vern St. Cloud. Yeah. Oh, is this a rap on him? Yes. You know what? You're right. So I recognized them, but I didn't realize I recognized them from the Rockford Files because that's what happens to us. This is interesting because he is, he has a kind of a really well-established character. There's not one of those episodes that he doesn't feature very prominently in. Mm. So yeah, it just feels like a cameo here because, uh, you know, at the Rockford Files, we're no stranger to characters play, or actors playing different characters, but usually it's it goes the other way, right? Like mm-hmm. the the actor plays a few bit parts and then gets a stand, you know, right. they get a character that re- reoccurs. Uh, where this is, he's got this prominent reoccurring character, uh, Vern St. Cloud, a a fellow Seamus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then turns around and, and it's just the soap shop over. Right, yeah, because we saw him in Sticks and Stones, May Break Your Bones, but Waterbury Will Bury You. 
The House on Willis Avenue, and Nice Guys Finished Dead. Yeah. Three solid episodes. Also three that feature another guest star. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because the first one has um, um, Cleveland Little is the other detective. Mm. The House on Willis Avenue is a Richie Brockleman episode. And mm-hmm. Nice Guys Finished Dead is a Lance White, Lance White episode played by mm-hmm. Tom Selleck. Anyway, that's neither here nor there, really. So this is a different character, Uncle Bep, or as he's credited, Beppy Conigliaro. And uh, <laughs> he is primarily here to deliver this tirade about submarine sandwiches. It's lunchtime. What am I, a magician? I can make a hundred submarines all by myself? Abacadabra and the prosciutto jumps on the roll, and the little red peppers make a conga line and walk right onto the paper plates, huh? I'll be out to help you in a minute. I gotta do some things first. Come on! <laughs> What am I, a magician? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. Big big ups to Simon Oakland. He's a great character actor. He's all over Kolchak, and he was in mm-hmm. Toma, which was one of the generative shows for this. Plus, you know, as his IMDb bio says, one of the movie's most memorable tough guys. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this is also the their, their base of operations um, for a couple of guys. Uh, we get the gag about the Gore Vidal um, blow dryers. Yeah, the stolen hair dryers. Yeah. I'm assuming stolen. I don't know. We we can only assume. We do see that they paid yeah. three C's for them. So yeah, <laughs> they better be able to turn those around because 300 bucks worth of hair dryers is, seems like a lot. So here we're, we establish that they, they're just trying to get their foot in the door. There's someone who's been throwing dead animals on this guy Lombard's lawn and they think yeah. they can help. This seems like the level of thing that they can deal with there was like a um a rundown of open job tickets they had right mm-hmm. like they they, they kind of went through like a list of uh things in the neighborhood that oh is it just the one thing i was it was like a protection racket thing yeah it's like someone's knocking over newsstands and they said they can deal with it and now they have to figure out who's doing it so they can try and deal with it you get this impression that they don't don't know what it is that they want to be Mm-hmm. Right. Like they're they're like, we want to be mobsters. We want to be connected or whatever. But they aren't entirely sure. Like to what end? Like, to, yeah. What is this? What, what's going on? Um, which is fun and understandable. <laughs> and I do like the the whole bit about like they're throwing dead cats and chickens. And just, I'm just consulting the Bible about it. Like so we get a little bit of the mm-hmm. insight into because Lombard is presumably a connected man right. that they think if they suck up to him, they'll be able to get involved. Yeah. That's all established here. Where like this guy Lombard, he's a born again Christian. So he's not part of right. the outfit anymore, but Eugene thinks that maybe that's just a cover or whatever, <laughs> but that's the, like he's praying about it not doing anything about it. Like, cause that's his, his thing now. Um, they, they have one lead, which is this kid saw a car near there and has a license plate mm-hmm. number for them. Um, and he says, I want my money. And they give him a pure rayon number 55 Jersey. <laughs> I was looking at it cause this kid is upset about the, and like, obviously he wanted money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that might've been a Packers Jersey and I, uh, which would have been weird in New Jersey. What year is this? Uh, 79. I was just trying to figure out if there was like a thing about like maybe if it were Jets, it could have been Jets at the time, but it's green and gold, right? Like, it, I don't know enough about football. We might have to rely upon. If someone who knows about late 70s football knows that this is a reference to something in particular, please let us know. It seemed like a reference. Yeah, like it gave him a rival team's jersey or something, but. Because it looks like an adult's football jersey. 
Yeah, it certainly wouldn't fit him. So that's a good enough joke. Yeah. Uh, we go back to Jim uh, on the phone with his client at the precinct. He's been there for four mm-hmm. hours. And here he he refers to her as Miss Lombard. So we're like, ah, we see where this is going to come yes. together. This is the gym connection. He, he tries to chase down an officer to find out when he's going to be able to go. And he just gets totally no sold. And we are left with the sense that he's going to be at that uh, at that precinct for a while. Our couple of guys are staking out Lombards when they see a kid on a bike roll up and throw a dead chicken over the gate. So <laughs> what do you know? Their theory that it's just some kids messing with them seems to be panning out. Uh, they chase him down and knock him off his bike and... We get a good line from this kid who's like, I think, 12. My dad mm-hmm. finds out about this. You creeps will be worse off than those chickens. <laughs> um, our next couple of scenes are kind of establishing all the rest of our players. Yeah. Lombard, uh, who is played by uh, Gilbert Green. He's appeared in a couple other Rockford Files episodes. I don't think this is a wrap on him. He has one we haven't done. But he was the elder Sylvan in Requiem for a Funny Box, who... Oh. Uh, can't handle having a gay son that guy right is he is he always mobbed up in these i feel like he probably is we have one more appearance i mean he's he's great and he clearly has much more of a role in this uh in this episode um than in that one though i I remember at the time being like wow they really pack a lot of acting into this uh (laughs) yeah to this conversation he has a lot of he has a lot of like gravitas yeah but in like a mobby way Mm mm-hmm I think he's well cast for this particular thing because of uh, the the line that this character walks, which is the former mob. There's something sinister at first, mm-hmm. and then he just every turn he's 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 just trying to be closer to God. Yeah, he's he's trying to escape his past and do more good works. Like that's his, yeah. his deal. There's a line where so you know they brought the kid in, and then the household is all there. So it's. Miss Lombard, whose name is Renee, she's a attractive young woman. She's in gym clothes, and we get a little bit of a eyes between like the guys and her, which actually pays off later a little bit. Mm-hmm. She asks the butler about Rockford, who called to say he'll be quite late. Uh, the computer turned up some unpaid traffic violations in California. <laughs> <laughs> Our, our guys tell her about the kid and then Mr. Lombard shows up. Mm-hmm. They tell him what, you know, what happened. Uh, he's trying to, he's asking the kid, what's his name? What, you know, why is he doing this? He tells him to go sit on it, which is very rude. <laughs> yes. His, this is where he turns from like the menace to, yeah, the like the turn that maybe yeah. we weren't expecting, which is, you know what you did. And that's between you and your God. Yes. <laughs> uh, he quotes some scripture uh, and then hands out born again pamphlets to everyone um including giving everyone tickets to his evangelical like television show like their sunday uh broadcast and he gives the kid a magazine called sports and the scriptures yes and like there's also ticket tickets to the sandals a christian rock band Mm. like he gives more to the kid as to the couple of guys but he, he is handing brochures out and and all of that I really dig that, like the whole like, oh, well, now now you're going to get a bunch of free stuff, (laughs) but it's all clearly uh, meant to turn this kid's life around and and stop this this crime wave of throwing dead animals (laughs) into yards. (laughs) Eugene and Miggy, they appreciate it, but they're thinking more of getting like a favor, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. something, something like maybe 
if someone's knocking over some convenience stands, you, <laughs> you know, or you could tell us whoever's doing it, you know, like whatever. Yeah. Oh, I see. You two want to hustle. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You want to deal your way up. <laughs> That's right. I understand ambition. But so does the Lord. I don't wield power anymore. He wields his power over me. <laughs> He's a true believer. Yeah, and then to get us the, the rest of our of our players, we have uh, our kid getting yelled at by his dad. <laughs> I think this may be, and I'm saying this as someone who has still, similar to Maverick, still have not watched The Sopranos because I kind of feel like I want to be done with the Rockford Files first. I don't know yeah, why. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> but I know so many of the memes, um, and I feel like this scene is probably a Ur yeah. Sopranos scene so this kid's dad is um the other important mobster tony martin yeah so martin has some beef with lombard and so his kid has been harassing lombard by throwing dead animals over his gate because he's been overhearing what his dad's been saying yeah uh so it's not a direct thing incredible you hear that incredible you did it for me is that what you're saying where where does he learn these things? Honey, if you would just stop yelling at him. Bowie's group around for male role models, and what their fathers think of them is especially important to them. And so they try in their own way to be rough and tough. He is 12. It is an age of transition. Transition? He's going to transition his way right into military school if he keeps this up. From now on, I want to see that child psychologist two times a week, not just on Wednesdays. He can miss his drum lessons. There's this, like, like this psychodynamic that's kind of spelled yes. out for us. And and he is, to his credit, open to that mm-hmm. being the case, right? Like, he's not, like, just shutting everyone down, right. uh, which feels very Sopranos as well. But then after that, he calms down and he tells his kid very calmly and forthrightly that, you know, you've put me in a very difficult position, but, like, I'll take care of it. You, you know, shouldn't do this kind of thing, blah, blah, blah. But, like, in a very loving way. Yeah. Like, he's not lecturing anymore. He's kind of like, okay, I got got my high emotion out. And now let me Mm -hmm. try and connect with you about, like, please don't do this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Kid goes to bed and then he makes a phone call. This thing has drawn on long enough. He wants to hit on Lombard tonight. Just enough to get his attention. Oh, and find out about these two guys. And gives the names of the guys who, those other things. Like, I'll, you know, did those guys, like... They hate you, slap you around or whatever. And the guy's like, yeah, they, mm-hmm. which they did not do. Like they, you know, no. beat me up <laughs> and all this stuff. Like they just knocked him off his bike. Anyway, so he's ordering a hit on Lombard and he wants to find out about our couple of guys. We have some more Jim. Uh, he finally arrives in a taxi or he's so late because in addition to all the other stuff, his hotel reservation got let go because he was late for that. So he's been looking for somewhere to stay and he can't find anything. Um, and we get kind of the, the questions establishing all this with Renee, who's standing outside talking to him. And it's a good physical business with him paying the cabbie and then the yeah. cabbie just like looking at him and waiting for an additional tip, I guess. There's some really good lines in this, too. Like the when she sees him, she's like, Mr. Rockford. And he's like, what's left of him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we get to that bit where about the car. I'm just going to look at this like my dad would. Whoever stole it needs it a lot more than I do, which is like a beautiful Rocky line. 100% not what Rocky would think if his truck got stolen. Right, right. If Jim's car got stolen. If something got stolen from Jim. Yeah. 
and it's undercut almost immediately by uh, a machine gun attack. What, what is referred to as a machine gun attack mm-hmm. in, the, in the text. Yeah, this car just screeches up, sprays the front of the house with the machine gun. Jim grabs Renee and dives to the ground, but they're not being shot at, right? Yeah, yeah. It screeches away. Uh, there's this great shot of a head falling off of a statue. <laughs> and then after the car leaves... There's a shot of them on the ground and we see Renee see the head of the statue, which is staring at her on the other side of Jim and like <laughs> flinches. It's there's a lot of good visual stuff in this. Uh, yeah. In this bit. And we get Jim's uh, wry line of welcome to New Jersey. Yes. All right. Let's take a little pause in the action here so that we can all sit back and catch our breaths. And Epi and I can let you know where you can find us elsewhere on the Internet, because as it turns out, we do do other things then talk about the Rockford Files from time to time. Epi, where can our fine listeners find you and your work? You can find my work at www.worldswithoutmaster.com. That's worlds, plural, master, singular. Or at digathousandholes.com, with the thousand being numeral 1000. I like complex URLs. <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter at Epidia, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. Where can we find you, Nathan? The hub for all of my stuff, from games to zines to podcasts, is ndpdesign.com. I recently started a new podcast called Appendix NDP, which is a solo show where I talk about various topics in games and publishing. So I will plug that for listeners of podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter at ndpaoletta, P-A-O-L-E-T-T-A, and on Instagram at the same handle, though I probably will only have pictures of my dog. So, you know, that may be a plus. <laughs> <laughs> now we return to the adventures of Jimbo Rockfish on 200 a day. And then we go inside. There's cops and stuff because obviously there was some kind of incident. We just had this great shot of Lombard crossing the entryway, giving Jim just the most incredible stink eye and then just leaving. (laughs) And here we find out that Renee, Jim had helped her out with something at UCLA uh, when she was there. It was like a previous thing. So that's why she called him. But she didn't tell him that her dad used to be in the mob. (laughs) He, He knows that she she knows he wouldn't have taken the job if he had known that. Yeah. But he, you know, since he's there, he's like, it, didn't, it wasn't an attempt on his life. Um, he's basically turning down the job, right? Yeah, that's standard procedure. My <laughs> advice to you uh, is, you know, keep keep talking to your father. Use your relationship with him to, you know, find out who this might be, because he probably does know. And like, that's your greatest mm-hmm. asset, right? Like, I'm not going to be able to get more out of him than you will. Yeah. So Jim is not taking the case. Go back to our guys. Mm-hmm. So these next couple of scenes are basically they hear on the radio about the incident. Remember, because, they, you know, they were like, they got this license plate from this kid, but then mm-hmm. they chased down the kid on the bike. But now they're like, well, maybe that license plate was something, someone casing the joint. So now they're like, oh, if we can run the plate and find out who that is, we can deal ourselves back in. Because Lombard, you know, sloughed them off. It's like, okay, you know. Come come to my yeah. revival meeting. Uh, see you never. Um, so there's a good joke in the cut where they're like, all we need to do is run this license plate. And then to this woman just going, no. Yeah. yeah. I like this scene, too, because this is kind of this is the most Rockfordy scene that doesn't have Rockford in mm-hmm. it. They have a friend who works in the mayor's office and who they know is this like secretary, Kathleen. 
in my notes, this is when I start going, is this a backdoor pilot? Mm-hmm. And part of that is the the lack of Rockford so far. I mean, we've talked a lot about Rockford scenes in it because those are the ones we're enjoying. Uh, but it's mainly been these two. And uh, at this point, as I'm watching it, I'm like, what is going on here? Uh, and I think the other bit is just the introduction of this character feels like setting up a resource or character that these two will use in future episodes. Setting up a uh, setting up a Dennis, almost. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's when I was like, wait a minute here. Something's up. So there's... You know, there's a bunch of business about, like, Eugene trying to, like, flirt with her. And she's like, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. And he's like, why don't you like me? Which is um, creep behavior. But yeah. she says, like, you're insincere. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate that. Mickey takes over. And this is extremely smooth. I really like this. He's like... I mean, you are friends with a couple of guys on the security staff, right? I mean, you even dated a couple of them. I don't think they'd mind if you used their names and called the cops. They would mind if they found out. Nah. Like the guy you told me about, he wouldn't mind. Who? George Bizak, Ron Allen, who? <laughs> Cut to Mickey making the phone call and using the name that he got from <laughs> Kathleen to ask, you know, hey, the mayor's off it. I'm blah, blah, blah from the mayor's security. I need you to run a play. Yeah. That's extremely good. It's smooth. It's a good con. Yeah. They go back to talk to Lombard again, and they find out that this car was registered to a guy uh, who lives in Philly. Maybe he's a shooter for the South Side outfit. Mm-hmm. Lombard appreciates the info, but he doesn't know what he's supposed to do with it. He's finished with all that. He doesn't want to know about it. Mm-hmm. Lombard's thing is that if the Lord decides that it's his time, there's nothing he can do that's going to change that plan. <laughs> with a little bit of like, I think he says like, I've done a lot of things. Like it's a little bit of like, yeah, I deserve this. Yeah, you know, I might deserve this. It's not up to me, right? Yeah. So our guys are trying to figure out you know, they still want to deal themselves in somehow. And they think they feel like they're on to something. Lombard may not be interested, but someone who cares about him might be. And Mickey knows a guy who's related to Martine, then the Martine family. They're the mob guys. Maybe they can get Martine's appreciation. <laughs> their premise, their flawed premise is that yeah. because Lombard used to be in the outfit, the current boss would want him protected. Right. Yeah. This is all occurring while they're like walking around the house and they come across Renee who's packing up her car. He, she's being dispatched to, um, to Stockbridge, which is like a school, like her school, a school, I guess. Probably. There's schools everywhere in this town. Well, but she's like, wouldn't be in college. She's whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. He, she's being, you know, sent away um, for her own protection, essentially. Oh, it's, it's where... Uh, the Norman Rockwell Museum is, oh. which I highly recommend to anyone who's in the area. Um, and she has a line where it's like, maybe she'll manufacture a crisis to get him to leave to come to her. And that's how she'll help yeah. him out. Should have thought of that before spending $800 on a detective. <laughs> Good for Rockford. I mean, he lost a lot coming out this way, but it sounds like he got paid. And there's another great joke in the cut. Where is this gumshoe anyway? <laughs> Cut to Jim getting punched directly across the face. He's in a bathroom being held by multiple guys and getting just beat up by another one. They brawl into a into a stall. There's a guy standing kind of by the sink, just like watching in horror. And then there's this guy who just gets up out of the neighboring stall and puts on his cowboy hat and just slowly walks away. <laughs> and someone yells like, hold him down. It's my turn. Our imagination gets to run wild about what put Jim into this situation. But uh, there's a lot going on. There's a read of this episode 
in which it's basically saying that Rockford doesn't have what it takes to survive on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Or the East Coast has a, a certain type of antibody mm-hmm. that is highly attuned to Rockford and his style of whatever. But there's there's just something here that's just saying Jersey is hostile right. to Jim Rockford. <laughs> uh, there's no we have no context now and i don't think we ever get context for what happened why nope. any of this went down i think rockford has gotten in more fights in bathrooms than i've ever had in my life <laughs> so uh, i like that thesis that mm-hmm. there's some quality to jim that just yeah <laughs> a- attracts the worst kind of attention in in jersey We go back to our guys who are trying to play off their info to Tony Martin. Uh, He's picking them up under a bridge in a stretch limo. They start off, and by they, I mean Eugene starts off with this very stilted, like, I don't know, parody of the Godfather-esque kind of language. Mr. Martin, we are happy that we can be a help to you and a certain friend in this matter, and that a, a tragedy can be diverted. Also, we would consider it an honor if you will be our guest for dinner while we talk this matter. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Danny's Chop House. I don't know, Route 22, it's... Hey, let's hear it. <laughs> Stop talking. Just tell me what you want. <laughs> Why are we here? Yeah. So they give him their piece of paper with the plate number and the name. It's uh, Albert Constantine, whoever's been, you know, <laughs> staking out the Lombard house. And he asks, what do they want? And uh, they say that they want to be remembered, plain and simple. So again, yeah, they don't really have a goal, right? Like they, yeah. they they have a method without a madness. Yeah, they're they're investing in process, but they don't have anything they actually want to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Mickey says he recognizes Mister Martin's face. He reminds me of someone. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit of a gag to get us into uh, Martin saying, "Oh, maybe a kid, maybe twelve years old, someone you pulled off a bike, slapped him around a little bit." <laughs> <laughs> Mister Martin. Let me start off by saying we didn't know, and that's some spunky <laughs> kid you got there. And then Martin just kicks him in the kneecap, I think. just Yeah, or something. It was very funny. So they're, they're sitting facing each other in the back of this limo. So he just like yeah. kicks out straight in front. And I paused my video to take some notes. And the, this, the frame I paused on was Eugene's face, like right after he was kicked. So he has the like the pain on his face he's reacting his reaction shot which was very funny that it was just sitting there for a minute martin's been sitting next to this other guy who's been quiet this whole time Mm -hmm. i I have someone i want you to meet this is albert constantine (laughs) (laughs) i think constantine pulls out his gun and says and this is albert constantine jr (laughs) (laughs) this is a good it's good there's menace from the get-go when they get in this car Mm -hmm. that they can't see and that makes it even more palpable right like Mm -hmm. you you can feel it you're just sitting there watching going oh come on guys because at this point like i don't i don't really like these guys Mm -hmm. but i don't want to see them murdered they're kind of they're kind of just hapless right Mm -hmm. but again i think this is where i was like oh this is kind of a rockfordy kind of moment where mickey yeah again the the one quicker on the on the draw just whips a bottle of some kind of booze out of the little there's like like some an ice bucket or something, I guess. He just whips it out yeah. and hits uh, Constantine's hand with it, uh, which keeps him from shooting them immediately. And they they jump out the side doors of the limo. <laughs> Constantine jumps out and chases them and takes a couple shots, but they manage to get away, running around. They're in like a they're by some like train tracks under a bridge. It's very East Coasty. 
Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, could, I could smell that location uh, based yeah, on, yeah. you know, taking the commuter rail down to Providence and stuff yeah. like that. Like, I know what that kind of area smells like, but they get away. They go back to Lombards, uh, who is distraught because they kidnapped Renee. They, I guess, grabbed her right off the highway. They tell him, you know, it's Tony Martin. And he's like, I know. He called me half an hour ago. <laughs> So I think everything with Lombard is good. Like his, like we're saying, mm-hmm. just his delivery and everything is very yeah engaging. What do they want? What they always want? They want their way. He's been resisting their pressure for 12 years, but he can't resist anymore now that they have his daughter. So he's going to go meet a very important man and he's going to put the pressure on him and on and on and on. And then there's a beat and they say like, well, do you need someone to drive you? We'll take you. <laughs> we cut to, all right. So I think I just got this. We cut to this garage where he's going to have this meeting. And the camera starts on the front of his car, which has a big yellow sign that says, I found it. And then it pans up. I'm just looking that up. As I'm looking at my notes here, I'm like, oh, that's like, that must be an evangelical thing, right? Like, I found God or I found him, right? A marketing campaign put on by the Campus Crusade for Christ. Oh, okay. So it was an actual thing. Here we go. For you millennials... Who weren't around in the 1970s, Christianity had a popular campaign in America. Christians bought bumper stickers that said, I found it. That's it. I found it. It caught a lot of attention. Everyone wanted to know what was found. That was on purpose. Put the bumper sticker on your car and wait for people to ask what you found. At that point, you share the gospel. I found Jesus. Mm. So yes, our instincts were correct. Uh, I got this from the mission to mission website uh wordpress website um but i assumed it was a thing that someone of the time would have recognized immediately and i assumed it had to have been somehow related to lombard's conversion to Mm. oh as we find out it's a conversion from catholicism to evangelical christianity there's actually a new york times obituary for William R. Bright, founder of the Campus Crusade for Christ. In the 1970s, he plastered I Found It signs across American cities for months. The it was faith in Jesus. So there we go. Look at us learning things. Yeah, (laughs) that's what this is all about. So, yes, as you say, we discover he converted from Catholicism because his meeting here is with a cardinal. Yes. This scene even in comparison to some other scenes in this episode, has some very bold, as you know, George exposition. This this kind of exposition gets under my skin because the first thing you do is you explicitly state that the character, all the characters present know the exposition, and then you state the exposition. Mm. So you're not only telling things to characters who don't need it told to them for the sake of the audience, but you're also telling the audience that these characters don't need to hear it. (laughs) Yeah. But it's still fun to, to be like, who's this secret meeting with? Yeah. And it turns out it's a, it's a cardinal in the, ch- in the Catholic Church. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Like there's but yeah, yeah, I agree. It's a little that, that particular line is like, as your good friend who sat beside you on the interfaith council for six years. Yeah. <laughs> in comparison to this, to its own episode, because like earlier with like Jim and Renee, she doesn't say, as you know, right. you helped me <laughs> when I was at UCLA. She's just like. Well, you helped me when I was at UCLA, like in response to him having some other question, like, right. It's just, it's exposition for us. 
giving us background on how they know each other. But it's a natural thing for them to say. But it's part of the natural conversation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's a compare and contrast even in this episode. But okay, so the issue here, what what the it is in this episode, uh, if you remember that coffin. I did not. (laughs) I know, neither did I actually. So this was, the pacing here is still very good. Yeah. In that coffin is the body of Vincent Martin cousin to Tony mm-hmm. Martin. Vincent Martin cannot be buried in a Catholic cemetery on consecrated ground. Yeah. Not only was he a sinner in life, admitted to crimes, he mm-hmm. uh, committed suicide. Right. So that's the issue. Tony wants his cousin to be buried with the church. Yeah. And the church refuses to allow it. So all this stuff is to put pressure on Lombard to talk to his his friend, the cardinal, to make get them to make an exception. And now Renee is in danger. Like, come on, can you do me this one thing with this caveat of like, I've resisted for years asking you for favors for the mob, right? Yeah. Like that's kind of the subtext. The Cardinal says that they can't give into terrorism um, and it's just not going to happen. Lombard says what he's, he's supposed to do. Put your faith in him. He watches out for children. The implication there being that Rockford is him. Uh, no, <laughs> I found it. Uh I, okay, so credit where credit's due. This kernel around which this this episode is built is good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the idea that like there's this mobster that can't be buried in in consecrated ground, and his brother is or yeah, some family his, members, his cousin, yeah, uh, is upset about that and is is going to put pressure on a born again former mobster to put pressure on the Catholic church to get it to work. I love that. That feels very Rockford. That feels like Mm -hmm. uh, rather than like a mob war over any other reason, Mm -hmm. it's not petty. In fact, by definition, it's not petty because it's a, it's over an immortal soul. (laughs) Right. But it's not about money or power. Yeah. It's about family. Right. Which is like the other big one. That part I, I dig. We then go to Jim reappearing at Lombard's, all beat up with a <laughs> bandage on his forehead, shiner. a big shiner. And we see later his his whole wrist and hand is in like a cast or like a brace. Yeah. He's talking to the butler. Uh, he didn't know where else to have the police <laughs> drop him off because they took everything. His airline ticket, his traveler's checks. There's a gag about how he doesn't have the right kind of traveler's check, so he can't just get them replaced. I'm pretty sure this is a joke on American Express yeah, yeah, yeah. commercials at the time. Because they, they talk, is it National Express? National Express. Is I, what think they, I think they call it. Yeah. And he's like, most people carry National Express. I don't know. It just feels like a, a thing. Yeah. It is a, a good gag that Jim doesn't have the right kind of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so he's like i came back to ask miss lombard for you know to maybe advance me so i can get my plane ticket back he says well she can't help you she's in serious trouble so now we go to jim and lombard talking uh our couple of guys are there too so we have the whole little yeah. unit here there's some tough guy talk about he he thinks they're bozos they think he's useless they mentioned that uh they ran Vincent's body around a different funeral homes until it like exceeded the legal limit for how long you could have a body in right in a mortuary. So it must be <laughs> on ice somewhere. There's a good moment. Let's hit the streets. We'll talk to our contacts, see if maybe Martin has like a meat company or something. <laughs> and Jim's like, Where are you going? You know what? No, that's a great idea. You guys go do that. <laughs> there's a a nice gag where there he says you're gonna need some place to keep it and the, and the, the two of them are, 
yeah, like a beer cooler. <laughs> like, or maybe something bigger, like a freezer. <laughs> he literally tells him to hit the bricks, which is which is funny. Yeah. And me, me and Lumber, we'll stay at the phone. Like you go do the quote yeah. work and we'll, you know, stay at the phone because they're waiting for Martine to call back. Uh and again, he tells Lombard it's not really his turf, as we know, uh, but he advises him to talk to the FBI. Uh, and in the meanwhile, stall as long as possible so they can, like, yeah, figure something out. We then go to Jim answering the phone with Eugene giving them a call. They found a restaurant that Martine's godson owns. Bally's Clam House. Um, there was some very yeah. obvious ADR. Like, I guess they had to re-record the name <laughs> of it or something. It's only close for renovations. They saw Constantine going in the back. They only heard one other voice. <laughs> they're they're gonna they're gonna hit hit the restaurant, take Vinny's body, and you know exchange it for Renee. Right, that's the plan. <laughs> oh, these guys. Jim's trying to talk them down. I, I think there's a line where he says, uh, "Mickey went to get his dolly," which I think pays <laughs> off great. Lombard heard the conversation on the other phone and Jim says, well, we're going to have to go there, see if we can stop those guys before they get into too much trouble. And you have to call the police now. There's no other choice. Yeah. Uh, We then get a big climactic action scene where our couple of guys, they manage to get the drop on one of the guys who is at the back of the restaurant. Constantine hears a noise. They impersonate the guy's voice. He goes to see what happens. (laughs) They get the drop on him, too. Sure enough, there's a coffin in the freezer. And they haul it out and then put it on the dolly, which I was like, oh, that was so smart. <laughs> like they have yes. a furniture dolly. <laughs> My notes in this at this point, I'm like, wait a minute, they're, they're pulling this off. Mm-hmm. And then they never checked the front of the <laughs> restaurant where Renee is there tied up. And there's Martine himself and a couple other guys uh, with, with guns. They hear a noise, a big guy and Martine surprise them in the back. He says that he's going to he's going to take them out to the meadows where he will personally blow them away. So he's not getting around <laughs> anymore. His uh, other goon had gone to check on Constantine. He came he comes back to say, like, hey, those guys are down. And that distracts martine enough for mickey to throw a fish at him (laughs) which knocks the gun out of his hand they try to run for it they're cut off and then we have a big brawl where they're it's actually it's pretty well choreographed i think where they're like running under the table it's a good kitchen fray yeah yeah. grabbing legs throwing bowls of ice at each other clams are flying there's a, a big pot of linguine that goes over someone's head it's it's good stuff during the 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 fray martin kind of dips out the front once he sees police sirens um reflecting off the back uh, uh windows the cops arrive jim and lombard they're in a car they see martin running they follow mm-hmm. him in the car. He takes a couple of shots at him, and then they run him down. <laughs> yes, um, not a high speed. He's 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 alive, no. but he does get hit by a car. They sideswipe him. Yeah, they sideswipe him. The uh, the cops arrive. They take over. Till Lombard, his daughter's in the restaurant. They run off to get Renee, and uh, justice is presumably served. We then go to our final scene here, where we do have just Jim <laughs> in the back of the convertible with our couple of guys in the front. They say that at least Jim got paid. All they got was out of jail, which honestly seems fine to me. (laughs) (laughs) And something else, because Renee invited Mickey to a dance prom in Stockbridge. And then they'll go to the Springsteen concert in Boston, which 
<laughs> is a good East Coast joke, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but Eugene faced with this, like, wait a second, like, yeah. you're getting a date out of this? <laughs> Starts going on about how expensive it is to buy, buy a girl like her presents. Nah, Mick, I saw right away how it is with a snobby chick like this Renee Lombard. Take presents. You want to buy her something for her birthday, right? Start talking at $200. You notice her feet? Those toes don't know from American shoes. It all comes from Italy, Mick. Italy. Remember them guys who used to paint chapel ceilings? They now make shoes. And they don't work cheap. <laughs> and and we, I think we get a legitimate laugh, like a good like James Garner like laugh in the backseat, because yeah. that is a very <laughs> funny line. They say, hey, maybe they can get Jim's stuff back. They know some people. They can track it down. Maybe he'll get a parcel post on his doorstep. Anything can happen. And then, yeah, anything can happen. That's how guys like us operate. And then we have a freeze frame <laughs> on our couple of guys laughing as Jim has a sudden wince of, of pain and he's grimacing in the back seat. <laughs> <laughs> really, really showcasing the, uh, I don't know, the different fates of all of our, all of our players here. And uh, that is just a couple of guys. Okay, I'm going to admit something here. I think I've, I've come around on the episode in our retelling of it. <laughs> I think I'm less harsh with on it than I than I was when we first started. Uh, I don't know why. I think we may mention this in passing, but two other things I think for context. One is this is the second time that we'd be seeing these characters. We we mentioned right. that, but I guess in the first episode they're in, they're much more goonish. They like beat up Rocky, and they like there's a couple other things oh, wow. where they're very much like people we don't like. So right. this is a bit of a rehab on these characters. And also it was a backdoor pilot for a show, a spinoff with these two guys, Eugene and Mickey having adventures, I guess, mob adventures. Is this making it? No. Did it ever happen? No, I don't think so. Okay. But I guess the show would have been called The Jersey Bounce. I just realized that the actor playing Mickey's actual name is Eugene. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> It's unclear from this. So this is the write-up in um, 30 Years of the Rockford Files. It's unclear here who was shopping it. Like if it mm -hmm. was Chase or or someone else. Anyway, because it's it just says, um, yeah, Just a Couple of Guys was designed as a pilot for The Jersey Bounce, a possible Rockford spinoff series starring Greg Antonacci and Eugene Davis. Eugene and mm -hmm. um, Mickey. The idea was not well received. The show suffered a split personality, noted Daily Variety, taking on the Rockford charm when Garner was on screen, lapsing into amateurish tedium when spinoff possibilities were being mined. <laughs> okay, so yeah, down here there's a quote where it says, yeah, so David Chase was shopping the episode as a pilot. Mm -hmm. Most of the rest of the quote is about um, Anthony Boy. <laughs> uh, and another quote, time has been kind to just a couple of guys, at least in the sense that in some respects, the episode provided the foundation for a far more successful venture. Uh, according to author Andrew Clark, who interviewed David Chase as part of a retrospective on Rockford, published in the May 2004 issue of Toro magazine, the origins of The Sopranos are partly rooted in this episode. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, as in, I see that. So, yeah. Um, I don't know where, what else there is to say. So I guess yeah, yeah going back to, I think a comment much earlier, all that meta stuff about the place of this episode in the longer arc of David Chase and mm -hmm. 
how it sits in relation to other episodes of the Rockford Files is all a little more interesting than just watching it as an episode of TV. Slightly as a gag, we're like, we're going to pay a lot more attention to the Rockford scenes and just kind of skim the other scenes, right? I don't know how much that came through. But um, other than talking about the dialogue, the dialogue's pretty good with exceptions as noted a lot of the visual stuff is good it's well shot it's there's a lot of visual gags in various spots as well stuff like that that we didn't really talk about but these two characters yeah so a a lot of the imdb reviews and even the book review like the the write-up in the book refers to them as kind of like amateurish or uninteresting Mm -hmm. and i guess i find them more they're they're more like they're they're outlines of characters to me they're not really right realized there's definitely an expectations thing going on here because as i'm watching it it's dawning on me that they're going to be the episode (laughs) and the thing that that's happened is that i keep thinking why are we still watching these guys when (laughs) when when james garner's right there right yeah exactly the whole section in the beginning where uh we see them and their different machinations in the um, like when they're hiding in the bush watching for the kid and whatnot. And it's all before we figure out what the connection mm-hmm. is to why Rockford is coming to Newark. You just kind of get to this point where you're like, why is this happening? Right, right. Why are we seeing this in particular? Yeah. And what that ends up doing is it ends up coloring my the impression that these characters make on me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I end up going, I don't want to see these guys. When, I mean... If the show had more Rockford in it uh, and the characters took a, like a slightly more backseat to it, they actually might be kind of fun characters. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. They're not quite as realized as, as I mean, it's not the Gabby and Gandy right, right. thing, right? But also, they're also lacking the star power that Gabby and Gandy yeah, had. Yeah, I think that's the other thing where like the other, even the other incidental, like, so like, uh, so like Lombard, he's yeah. great. That actor's great. He has great presence. You know, he has a lot of, even if it's a little hammy, he has, you know, he, he just has some of that charisma that is like, it's just fun yeah. to watch him talk. Right. Um, yeah. Martine, Tony Martine. Yeah. Because we see him have a non-threatening scene first. I mean, his lighter scenes, yeah. he's just kind of like the threatening mob boss and it's like whatever. But at least we got to see him be interesting earlier. And he also mm-hmm. has that kind of air of menace, kind of similar to our urban horticulturalist that we love so much. Yes. Um, <laughs> those kinds of characters. So even in context to like the the other characters that we don't see very much who make a more of an impression on me, <laughs> like yeah. the main characters are kind of like, eh. Their dynamic is fun. I get the impression that Eugene is supposed to be annoying mm-hmm. in, in the same way that like Angel is supposed to be annoying, mm-hmm. uh, but he's not, he's not Angel. So I'm going to say that. Okay. So that's a, it's a tough character to do that. Right. Right. The whole point to your character is to suck up the energy in the scene and be slightly annoying. And Angel can like a uh, Stuart Margolin mm-hmm. does a, a wonderful job with that. Uh, and I'm not, I don't want to like dis, uh, I, I missed, I forget the actor's name now. Uh, Greg Antonacci. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to dis Greg Antonacci. I, uh, it's just like it, the character wasn't there. Like I, I, I was like, why are you listening to your, like uh, looking at Mickey going, why are you listening to your friend here? Like what, why are you going along with what he's saying? He's clearly wrong. Um, yeah, I don't know. 
I think the fact that so much of the episode hinges on these two and they're not entirely baked. Yeah. And like, I don't know if it's a casting thing, because like, again, because this is taking two characters we've seen before. I wonder if that's like the concept, right? Like, hey, we saw these two characters in this episode. I want to do something else with them. And since they're already cast, because I feel like because in that episode, as I mean, we'll find out, but I assume they have a much, you know, much more subservient role to the story. So maybe putting them front and center, expose them a little bit as actors. I feel like that a little bit. Yeah, this is leading to our um, our cliffhanger, our our two parter, (laughs) our accidental two parter. We decided before the show, we mentioned this, that we we want to go and watch the other episode uh, with these characters in it. Oh, the Jersey Bats. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. From the season before. I do not remember it. Uh, we haven't done it. Yeah, I, 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 again, only vaguely remember it. But yeah, we have not done it yet. Uh, so I think we're going to do this one next time because... Maybe it'll answer some of our questions. Yeah, I think it's going to give us a little bit more insight into into uh, what's happening here. It's, it's also interesting thinking about this in the context of... Like you said, that we're looking forward to these two being even less likable. (laughs) Might be more interesting if they're less likable. Yeah, yeah. But it's going to be interesting because this this would not be the first time on our podcast that the Rockford Files has reformed a character. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's the Gandhi thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like the first episode of Gandhi turns out to be, it's a good episode, but it turns out to be pretty rough when you realize that Gandhi's character is going to become a lovable addition to the to the right. intermittent cast or whatever. I'm, I'm intrigued. And I guess, yeah, the only other meta thing is that this was this was the last episode filmed. And then they put it second to last for airing. Oh, right. There's some context there just around like and i don't i didn't really do any deep dive into this but this is when james garner is in increasing physical pain he's having more and more trouble he's also in this legal situation with universal about the accounting and everything about the show so this is you know the last one shot before he's like i cannot do the show anymore we're shutting you know like doctor's orders i cannot physically continue performing like yeah we're cutting the the season short there's a read there of like, we did an episode that had very little James Garner so that he didn't have to be on set or whatever, right? Um, right. That is, you know, maybe a bit of a making lemonade out of lemons. Like, what do we do with an episode where we don't have Jim? Oh, well, we have these characters and I want to do another mob story or whatever. Like, there's a there's, there's yeah. a bit of an element of like kind of doing what you can with what you have, I think. That's part of the stew going into yeah. this this particular episode. But yeah, kind of zooming out, I would say it's not really that fun of an episode of The Rockford Files because you keep on wanting to see Jim and you don't get him very much. It's an okay episode of TV. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's got some fun bits. Got some some fun bits. Has some, that those signature little fun quirks of like yeah. the heart of the of the drama being the not being able to bury this body and a lot of the quips and stuff like that. Like that's all good stuff. Again, it's better than a lot of other television I would watch, right? Like I would choose to watch this over (laughs) some other episodes of TV, but uh, I think generally agreeing with the critique of it's not a great Rockford files because we just don't have much Rockford in it. That is not untrue. No, no. But um, I mean, one of the uh, things about episodic television uh, is that you can, very quickly recover from a uh 
a dip mm-hmm. in your in your episodes. I mean, obviously, this one's at the, near the very end of the the whole thing. But um, one thing I really enjoy about episodic television is that you can have bad episodes and it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's okay. It, it just it just doesn't matter. We we call this the Star Trek effect. Yes, you can have a good show that has a lot of bad episodes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we'll look forward to seeing you know. If if and how our opinions change after seeing the earlier version of these characters. Yeah, we can see Eugene and Mickey at it again Woo-hoo. for the first time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so an interesting episode to talk about. Not really a recommend to watch unless you're a huge Sopranos completionist and want to see some of that yeah. proto DNA. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely interesting and, and worth watching that part. Yeah. All right. Well, that all said, um, I think it's time for us to... Uh, to get back on the plane, back to our our mm-hmm. homesteads. But as we've gone on at length about, we will be back next time with another episode of The Rockford Files. This one might have more Jim in it. <laughs> 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 <laughs>